birthday, are you going to do a shot for every year? Oh, heck yeah. At the club? Because I know you go to the club. I probably ought to just start at the hospital because I would be dead. Uh, start <laughs> at at the, yeah. What are you doing at the county morgue? Well, I'm going to do a shot for each year I've been alive, and I'll be dead soon. Uh, no, I don't. I don't I'm actually, I have a busy day doing this, obviously. Um, going into a, a, a recording studio, I'm working on music for a film movie. That's something you want to do and it's fun. Oh, I love doing it. So it's one of my favorite things. Well, that's the perfect thing to do on your birthday. Right. Something you enjoy doing. Right. I believe my sweet wife and I are going to have a little dinner of my choice. Perhaps a glass of wine. Perhaps a glass of wine. It's like saying perhaps I'll breathe. <laughs> <laughs> With a glass of wine. <laughs> and uh, and and then and we go. a glass of wine. So for a Tuesday, it's not a bad day at all. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I do have a rhinovirus, but I think I'll get past that. At least it's not the coronavirus. Speaking of which, some really interesting information from folks that listen to the Armstrong and Getty show who either are in China or have family in China. Um, we have, oh, Jack, you're going to love this. You are so right. Come on, China! That's my favorite clip. I cannot. Now come on, China! Couldn't possibly hear that too much. Well, and there's the, uh, there's the, uh, the, the warm teat uh, reference as well that I just absolutely love because... Right. You know, listen, if you're going to do business with China, that's fine. Just understand what you're doing. you got to lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. Amen to that. So anyway, uh, information on the coronavirus, the Chinese system, and the Chinese ambassador, who Jack made an accusation against yesterday. Turns out you're absolutely right awesome. on that accusation. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. So the bum and junkie explosion which is taking place uh, across the blue frontiers of America, blue politically speaking, the West Coast, Austin, Texas, no coincidence that Austin, which happens to be a very blue city, has the worst uh, bum uh, problem in in Texas. I just drove by a couple of dudes this uh, this morning uh, with uh, carts loaded up with, like, mattresses and bags and stuff like that. The sort of thing that you only used to see in, like... I don't know, Skid Row, Los Angeles are really bad neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. It's now everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And we do quite intentionally use the term bums and junkies because the people who had a medical emergency and missed their rent and will be back on their feet as soon as they can and are getting help, they're not causing the problems. They're not shooting up in the park. They're not stabbing people to death in a uh, Burger King drive-thru. They're not ruining the parks and pooping on the sidewalks and the rest of it. That's bums and junkies. But you've heard this from us a number of times, so we thought we would feature a couple of other, other folks you might be familiar with who are speaking on a similar uh, topic. Uh, why don't we first go with down-to-earth, working-class, but extremely bright observer of humanity, Adam Carolla, who uh, is, is echoing some of my favorite sentiments on the topic. We'll let Adam go first. 16. Well, what changed is we started to mistake discipline and rule of law for being mean. This sort of like, don't be mean, don't take that homeless guy. Why are you making him go here, or why are you arresting him, or why are you incarcerating him, or why are you putting him in this facility? L.A. has become this sort of good vibes place where uh, Mayor Garcetti and and the governor of Los Angeles, uh, uh, Mayor, uh, governor of California, Gavin Newsom, they don't, nobody, everyone is scared of being called a bad person. 
And we used to realize that coaches and teachers and generals and the police force and the people, the mayor and the governor, when they enforced laws, they weren't bad people. They enforced laws. They're doing what they were elected to do. They're doing their job. Now, when official says, I want to get rid of this homeless camp, we're going to, we're going to bulldoze the homeless camp, we're going to give it, it's like, why are you being a mean person? Why are you being a bad person? This is a zeitgeist that's washing over this nation. That the people, that the teacher that's expelling the student for being unruly has now become the bad person. Not the student, the teacher. We're turning on the rule of law. The way I like to put it is that we've decided that there can be no order if it isn't compassionate. You know, it's I, all compassion and no order, and all compassion, and no order is chaos and civilization falls yeah, apart. I think, I think, because you've been saying this for a while, and that's absolutely true. I think where it comes from is once you have order for a certain amount of time, you start to assume stupidly that that is the natural state of things. Yeah, good and point. It just it, it can't go away. Um, that civilization is the natural state of yep, man, and, yep. and, and you don't really have to do anything. Being mostly safe. Everywhere you go in your home and prosperous is the natural state of things. So, uh, you know, we need to get down to these the the edges where people are failing. Mm -hmm. And, man, it is not the natural state of things to have this sort of order. What's frustrating about it is is that this experiment has been tried over and over again. And you end up with early 70s New York, which was incredibly dangerous and dirty and disgusting until Rudy Giuliani... Um, whose who's, uh, recent career has been uh, a bit nutty. But as mayor of New York, he's probably the greatest mayor they've ever had. Uh, because, oh, wow. Because <laughs> God, I love that clip, too. <laughs> because he understood <laughs> that the adults... Listen, uh, one of the keys to adulthood... It was funny. Jack was talking about his, his son and how uh, he had to explain to him, look, a 10-year-old does not leave a wet towel in a wad. There are responsibilities. You know, you got to do the difficult thing as an adult. We are going away from adulthood. We are going toward this this soft, overly emotional, the poets are in charge. Anything that's mean or makes me feel bad is a bad thing. Listen, Jack and I both have thousands, tens of thousands of you had the same experience. You have to hold your child while they get the shot from the doctor. It's heartbreaking. You don't want to do it. Your kid is mad at you, but you understand you have to do it. Well, that understanding is vanishing from society and we've become a bunch of weepy soft-hearted but soft-headed people who don't understand you can't grant people a license for lawlessness okay you get to break the law because you're a drug addict and that's kind of tough we you can't run a society like that now before we get too far afield uh do you know dr drew's act dr drew pinsky didn't he, didn't he help uh, Dennis Rodman and others with celebrity rehab? Yes. Yes, he did. I was I didn't actually watch that show much. I think I saw five minutes of it once. Or some of the other of his celebrity friends and celebrity rehab. Oh, I believe it was uh, that whole, like, Carmen Electra. Gary Busey. Gary Busey. Busey. Yeah, that crowd. You know, just, yeah. They all the hung together, suspects. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were looking for drugs. Anyway, uh, Dr. Drew is going to be talking a little bit here about uh, California's Prop 47, which turned many, many serious crimes, felonies, into misdemeanors, which are little more than, you know, you get a traffic ticket, then you tear it up. You never intend to 
uh, show up in court. And these include like theft and breaking into a vehicle and and uh, I believe burglary of an unoccupied um, dwelling, uh, forgery, all sorts of bo- uh, uh, serious crimes now are are slap on the wrist stuff. Here's Dr. Drew. It's not just solving the mental health and addiction problem for the homeless. The homeless problem is a mental health and addiction problem. It has always been that. And to think about it otherwise is anathema. The fact is 47 is murder. It is murder. If you don't create consequences for drug addicts, they will use until they die. I agree you should not be making this a criminal justice problem. But if you don't have leverage, some consequence for using, they will use until they die. And that is murder. It's making me furious. I've worked with this population for 30 years, and it is time that people who make the laws listen to people that treat the patients. Stop it already. Help us help these patients. It's making me sick. This is a brilliant counterargument to the idiotic yet often persuasive argument you hear that you shouldn't criminalize homelessness. You're criminalizing homelessness. No, you respond. We're criminalizing criminal behavior. If it happens to be perpetrated by a homeless person, well, that's kind of interesting. But you can't grant a license for lawlessness to somebody because they're homeless, especially because, as Dr. Drew has pointed out, that if you're if you've ever dealt with junkies, you know they break the law a lot, okay? And not just drug laws. They steal, they defraud, they forge checks, they do all sorts of stuff. And that's when you can help them by giving them a consequence. Look, Johnny, you're so out of control with your drug use, you're breaking all sorts of laws now. You're going to be punished for that. You're going to be taken into the system for that. And by the way, and a lot of drug addicts will tell you, that saves their life. Because they can't use in jail, or it's a hell of a lot harder. And and Dr. Drew is making that very powerful argument, I think, that when you remove the concept, we, we become a, a, a nation, a society of enablers, where we say to Johnny the Junkie, who might be your son, who you love very much, maybe he's your, your friend, your coworker, your spouse, what you're saying to them is, we're going to do everything we can to make sure there are no consequences from your drug use. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you. And Dr. Drew, who is obviously getting really riled up there, is calling people with that attitude murderers. And I think he's right. The road to hell is paved with good intentions because anybody who questions your idea is, is by definition, by your point of view, a bad person. How dare you go against me? I have good intentions. You are murdering people. Well, we've turned a corner or turning a corner on recognizing the homeless issue as a drug problem. Maybe person by person. I, I hope so. I mean, I hope these screeds are doing some good. Um, but the, the misplaced, soft-headed, nothing-but-compassion crowd has many deaths on their hands and many more to come. I, I am really excited about the New Hampshire results tonight. Start getting them uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock West Coast time. Start getting some results. Bernie wins. It's going to be a heck of interest. Well, it's interesting no matter. It's either going to be Peter Bernie, Amy Klobuchar, who's having a, a moment. Is she going to? How high is she going to uh, come up in the ranks? That'll be interesting stuff. I got old the man Bloomberg in his checkbook. He's not competing in this one. No, but, but he's, a, he's lurking, Jack. He's he's lurking at the edge of the woods like those killer clowns. The woods yeah, in New Hampshire. Um, uh, like, stab the Democratic Party. That's what I heard so on I got, nextdoor.com. I got the latest poll on that. If you want to hear it, it won't take long. And then the the latest trend in fashion, rental clothes. We haven't gotten this story yet. This might become the, the next big thing for clothes. You. I'd hate to get my 
My socks repossessed. I'm not doing socks and underwear. <laughs> Just not doing it. Armstrong and Getty. Oscars were the lowest rated Oscars in history. Hell, Martin Scorsese was there, and even he didn't watch. Ah, uh, picture of him snoozing? I didn't, know, I didn't know that. Well, that's just an age thing, right? Yeah, or he had his eyes closed to Fairman. Old man. Oh, I finally um, heard why uh, Eminem showed up. Because when he was nominated 18 years ago, he didn't, thinking he wasn't going to win. Vomit on your sweater already! What? Why are you shouting at me? Tired already. Mom spaghetti. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because he didn't show up last time, and now he kind of thinks that was probably dumb. That's the sort of thing you do when you're young, not Brash. show up to the Oscars and exactly. yeah. sing your song you won an Oscar for. So he sang it. Yeah, right. Lowest rated Oscars. All these all these award shows get lower every single time. <laughs> yeah, good. Whatevs. Uh, tonight, New Hampshire primary. What direction are we going as a country? Bernie Sanders has a near double-digit lead in the daily tracking poll up there. It's... Over Mayor Pete? I don't see anybody who's saying Bernie's not going to win. It's just a question of by how much. Well, and then it's Hillary by 20 points last time around. Yeah, and then it's fairly tight between Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, who is rising quickly, as is Mayor Pete. They both are up uh, eight since last Monday. Amy Klobuchar's debate performance was great. Why she doesn't do better, I don't believe sexism is a thing, but m- maybe it is. She's not the most charismatic person. She's a business-like, down-to-earth Midwestern gal. She she doesn't have glitz. She doesn't have show business. It, it they call it it in show business. I don't think she has it. She doesn't. She, she doesn't. She exudes awkward ant energy. Awkward a lot. ant energy. Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah. That's very good. Yeah, that is really good. <laughs> yeah, she's. Very bright, obviously, and earnest and the rest of it, but... You shouldn't have to have it to be elected to something, but you clearly do. No. No. Well, yes and no. You said two things. I agree with the first and agree with the second (laughs) that it's negative. (laughs) You you lying dog-faced pony soldier. Uh, Some more on China coming up in a minute. Is that uh, a growing story? Yeah, some insights into the coronavirus and the response by the Chinese authorities that we think you will find uh, interesting. And the hacking. So all that on the way. Oh, yeah, the hacking. So is this fashion's newest trend? Is this the direction we're going to go, or is this a fad? I mean, there's nothing that has more fad-like tendencies than fashion. It beats out music, for crying out loud. The way it changes so quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, more so, yeah. But yeah. renting clothes could be the future of fashion. <laughs> um, growing number are now offering customers the option to rent clothes for a monthly fee instead of buying them. Bloomingdale's, Banana Republic, Urban Outfitters are the latest to offer these services. Uh, even footwear chain designer brand says it's considering launching a rental service for shoes. Rental shoes. Unless I'm bowling. I'm not interested. Although this, Jack, isn't this all about young women who want the newest, coolest, most fashionable, but they realistically can't afford to buy it? So you get that, and I don't know the dang designers. I've heard of Jimmy Choo because I watched the 
Sex in the City twice. Um, you can't really afford those shoes, but it'd be nice to have them for the big party, for the holiday season, and so you rent them. A pair of $600 shoes. Right. And that, you rent them for 50 bucks, maybe. And whatever designer is hot, little black dress, and you the take rest of it. All, all the your pictures friends. in them, you litter them with, over your Instagram page. Bingo! Your friends who and on, and then uh, Zingo Zango, you send it right back. It's already a $1 billion business, clothing rental. It's expected to be a $2.5 billion business by the next three years. Yeah, I have a uh, closet full of flannel shirts uh, that I will be wearing until I'm dead. So this is not... (laughs) This is not for me. I'm I'm considering going Jay Leno. All denim shirt all the time. Get a variety of denim shirts and just always a denim shirt. It's the Steve Jobs method, which I admire. I'm practically there. But with flannel. But with flannel. I mean, I got a variety of colors and hues, Sean, but, you know, you pair it up with a pair of jeans or the gray pants I'm wearing today, and please, it doesn't matter. You close your eyes, you reach in, you grab one. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Some of you studies this sort of thing. It says you no longer have to buy into the meth of continuous consumption. I'm not sure what that means. It seems like rental is more continuous consumption than buying them and wearing them permanently, but uh, Okay. Well, I think buying them and then sticking them in the back of your closet and never wearing them again is more common, again, for young women. Yeah. J.C. Penney and Macy's on board now, too, so kind of the lower end as opposed to the upper end of rental clothes. So Let me know the- when my local thrift store is in on it. Then I'm in. <laughs> The Armstrong and Getty Show. Michael, good morning. The FBI claims this is an epic battle to determine who will be the dominant economic superpower in the 21st century. Authorities are pointing the finger at China for launching perhaps the biggest hack on Americans ever. The biggest hack on Americans ever came from the Chinese government. And the FBI says it is a battle for economic supremacy for the 21st century. Those are some pretty high stakes. Donald Trump, don't trust China! He shouldn't either. We have a description of that hack coming up. It's it's a bit lengthy. I hope we can squeeze it in today. Just let it suffice to say it was months long, many, many people involved, complex maneuvering to make sure it wasn't discovered, and systematic uh, bilking of your information by the Chinese government. It was not a, you know, a hack in and, and unleash some gif of a guy taking a poop. I mean, it was not mischief. It was a plot and a big one. So I remember when uh, Obama and G met in, was it Palm Springs? I think that's where it was. And they're walking around that golf course and being friends and stuff like that. And obviously Trump and G have done the whole we're buddies thing. How long does that last where our leaders even get together? Because... That's an interesting question. Certainly the whole we're friends yucking it up having dinner has got to end soon. Well, it's classic keeping your enemies closer. You know, your friends close and your enemies closer, as the old saying goes. That's clearly what Trump's you know doing. But how long can you do that in the face of such egregious right, yeah. you know, attacks? I do not know. Uh, so information on the coronavirus in a second. But first, I want to hit you with two other things very quickly. Number one, Positive Sean has just handed me this article that uh, it was announced last year that China had overtaken the U.S. in terms of the number of uh, total number of scientific publications. Well, it turns out that China is in the business of these uh, paper mills that churn out uh, 
scientific papers. Oh, come on, China! China. Come on, China! Yeah, they're 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 faux papers. They're falsifications. They're they're well, they're fake. There's a shock. Um, so so much for China overtaking the world. Although they are trying as hard as they can, very quickly. We played a clip yesterday of the Chinese ambassador. He was asked directly on uh, one of your Sunday talk shows whether uh, he was on Face the Nation, or as Trump calls it, Deface the Nation. <laughs> oh my, I get it. Uh, but he was asked by the hostess there. Uh, uh, Senator Tom Cotton says that he believes there's a chance that the coronavirus came from your uh, biological weapons program. What do you say to that? And in his halting, do we have that clip handy? Yeah, well, just listen. Senator Tom Cotton, just, who sits on the Senate Intelligence in? and Armed Services Committee, suggests right, that's we'll an extraordinary charge. Indeed. The unknown. And our scientists, Chinese scientists, American scientists, scientists of other countries, are doing their best to learn more about the virus. But it's very harmful, it's very dangerous to stir up suspicion, rumors, and spread them among the people. For one thing, this will create panic. Another thing is that it will fend up racial discrimination, xenophobia, okay, all these so things. Okay, so he plays the race card. He doesn't answer the question in his halting, stumbling English. A couple of emails. Uh, let's see. Here's William in Northern Virginia. I had to write this after hearing that clip and the discussion. Long story short, I've met the ambassador. Um, he explains why. If you want, I can tell you more about this ordeal, but I know you enjoy brevity. Well, it is the soul of wit, William. The ambassador in this clip is a total phony. Not only does he speak perfect English in real life, but he's way more energetic and engaging. He's completely pretending to be this frail old man who has very little experience speaking English. <laughs> I'm calling such BS on this. Well, that's what I assumed. Yeah, yeah. He's Baghdad Bob. Remember that guy? Oh, Baghdad Bob. Baghdad Bob, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, let's see, Gavin, the stereotypically polite and helpful Mormon, writes, I didn't know I didn't know that the guy spoke perfect English, but I, as I said yesterday, they could hire somebody that did. Uh, all your high-ups in China go to our universities right. and hang out up here for years, right. so the idea that, you know, they can't find somebody who speaks perfect English, it's part of the routine to help not have to answer questions. Which seemed... Not impossible or implausible to me, but kind of a stretch. Well, we got this note again from Gavin, the stereotypically polite and helpful Mormon, which I believe is an effort to distinguish himself from uh, from Tony the Caustic Mormon, mm. frequent correspondent. I once worked for a man originally from Taiwan. His English was very good. Not perfect, but very good. Held advanced degrees, etc. One day I was in his car when he got pulled over by the CHP. He'd intentionally removed the California driver's license from his wallet, put it in his glove box. When the officer approached the window, asked for his license and registration, he hand over his hand over his he handed over his Taiwanese license and proceeded to speak very broken English to the officer. Oh, Before I knew it, the officer had given up and sent us on our merry way. Yes, speaking English is a thing. <laughs> so there you have it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, if I ever was in Germany, which I would like to do, having studied the German language for years and years and years and years, people would tell the same story about me, and I would have to tell them, no, no, I'm just thick-headed. I had no aptitude for it. I tried as hard as I could. I could not read it or learn it. Um, Got this note from, can I use the, uh, yeah, Tim. Um, My apologies in advance for such a long email, but as they say in Hong Kong, China is a-hole. <laughs> China is asshole. Yes. 
That's what they say. You guys are only scratching the surface on your coronavirus coverage, which is interesting because we're going way deeper than than your your shallow drive-by news places. My wife um, is of Chinese descent, speaks fluent, fluent Mandarin. She's been watching the citizen journalist coverage coming out of Wuhan since the disease first became a thing. Mostly her interest in this is because her company does a lot of business in China. She's had to cancel trips, not just to China, but other parts of Asia over the last few weeks. For one, they are definitely burning the bodies, as we were discussing yesterday. Uh, Atmospheric studies, uh, accounts from funeral home directors, and journalists now are saying they are burning bodies by the thousands now in Wuhan. Wow. Uh, the guy who reported in that website, that the, the and he has links to all of these articles, by the way. It's very thorough, Tim, and we appreciate it. The guy who reported in the website that pre- was previously referenced has recently gone missing. They're doing forced quarantines for people who are suspected of having the virus. Many of these quarantine centers are just gymnasiums stacked with bunk beds. So if you're suspected of being sick, they'll lock you in a big room with 100-plus other people who are also suspected of being sick. When people die, their bodies sit around for hours until the government comes to collect them to be burned. People there are terrified. As scary as the virus may be, it's nothing compared to the government. Men in containment suits will show up and accuse you of being sick. They will arrest you and send you to the con- containment center. Wow. There's a bunch of links to you, a bunch of accounts. If you weren't sick at the time, you will be once you get thrown in a room with a whole bunch of other people. Right. New laws make it a crime to resist the health care workers who are collecting people for quarantine. Violations will include everything from imprisonment to capital punishment for resisting. Everybody's making a big deal about how the Chinese government is able to mobilize against this disease, built that hospital in 10 days. I was a hospital corpsman in the U.S. Navy, and we set up a fully functional field hospital in two days in order to practice a mass casualty event. Ours was intense instead of pole barns, but it's not that impressive if you're prepared for it. Then he talks about how their main problem was that they were woefully unprepared in advance, so people can stop with all the fawning over all this this totalitarian regime that clearly cares more about maintaining power than they do about the welfare of their citizens. Why, this is the country that's hell-bent on taking over the world. China is asshole! Again? People come arrest Thank you, you and throw you in, uh, throw you in uh, prison with a bunch of other people that are sick. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, and, and remember how they're gaining strangleholds of third, over third-world countries. They lend them enormous amounts that the oligarchs in those countries take and, and spend on themselves and hand out to their followers, and they can't possibly pay it back. So then China has them in their clutches, and they are step-by-step step, uh, encircling the globe with their influence by you know blackmail and, and loan sharking. Uh, coming up, we'll play you another funny from Trump's rally in New Hampshire last night. He goes around and does rallies wherever the Democrats are gathered to try to show how giant and enthusiastic his crowds are compared to theirs, but... It's a pretty good strategy. Uh, we got these texts on the whole clothing rental thing, which is already a $1 billion business. Hey, guys, my wife rented a purse years ago. It wasn't cheap. It was $70 a month for a really expensive purse. But uh, So for $70 a month, you get to have one of those $2,000 purses, if that's important to you. You know, it's not, and I think all that stuff is crazy, but I understand some people, that's their priority. And if you use it for three months, you've saved a lot of money, I guess. Sure. If you get your maximum satisfaction out of it. Because, listen, all of us know you get all excited about buying something, and you buy it, and you're super excited to have it. And six weeks later, you forget you even have it in some cases. That's why, you know, what do they call it? Uh, shopping therapy? Or 
Oh, retail therapy. Retail is such a oh, bad idea. Oh, it's, oh, it's the worst. Yeah, it's really dumb. Fight that, because it's, yeah. Oh, I fight it every day. That charge out of having something show up from Amazon. <laughs> Uh, our old producer Scott texted, My girlfriend and I have date night in the city this weekend. She's renting a dress for the first time. I'll report back and let you know how it goes. So she's oh. going to rent a dress for their big Valentine's Day date. Scotty and I are going to go out for a, uh, a cocktail as soon as possible. Cool. It's tough. We both have busy schedules, and, but I sincerely want to. And as I said, I might become a guy who only wears denim shirts. I'm looking for a uniform. I love um, that idea so much. Uh, I'm black t-shirt guy. Are you going to stay with the uh, denim jacket on top of it, though? Because you're everyday denim jacket guy. I ordered a green denim jacket. Ooh, Mr. <laughs> Fancy. It came, it came yesterday. Whoa! So maybe I won't just be monochromatic. Fashionista Jack Armstrong. Yeah, it's my God. Color. What are you, Oscar De La Renta over but, there? Uh, somebody's wow. smelling himself. Wow, next he'll be wearing the short suit, huh? Green? <laughs> but somebody else Mr. Green somebody texted, I'm black t-shirt guy. I buy seven at a time. It's just so much easier that way. I we hear worked that, with man. a guy, very successful guy, high up management oh, yeah. guy. He was black t-shirt guy. Jeans, black t-shirt, same shoes every single day. Yes. And just how much easier does that make your life? Well, are you going to argue with Steve Jobs? Well, you can't, number one. Those, that, your time has passed. It would make you a weirdo. Well, yeah, and uh, you should have argued with him while he was alive, which is, you know, a lesson for all of us. You got to tell the people you love, you love them, and people you want to have a bitter argument with, do it today because they may pass. <laughs> or you might. Anyway, uh, but it, it is like, I don't want to expend any mental energy on what I'm going to wear today. Sure. Good for you, Steve. I put on my underwear. I love it. There's uh, Alex Trebek. How's uh, he doing, by the way? Hanging on, right? Hanging on. Still working? Uh, he's still doing Jeopardy. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Trump at the rally and some other things. Uh, politics, boy. Um, uh, the, the James Carville on what he thinks of Bernie winning, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. On Tuesday, I delivered my address on the State of the Union. And I had somebody behind me who was mumbling terribly. Mumbling. <laughs> mumbling. Wow, wow, ho, wow. He was mumbling. <laughs> Very distracting. Very distracting. Lock her up. In the cell next to her. Well, it was very distracting. I'm speaking, and a woman is mumbling terribly behind me, angry. There was a little anger back there. We're the one should be angry. That is uh, that's a heck of a unique thing to run against, uh, Bernie, uh, Pete, whoever is going to be up on stage. <laughs> wow, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. We'll know more about who it's going to be after tonight when results start coming in from New Hampshire. If And a little bit more, not a lot more, a little bit more. If the general election debates are held in front of live audiences, and they usually are, which is a terrible idea. We've called for that to end. Um, and they are at all fair in apportioning who gets tickets. They're going to be insane. The crowds oh, are going to be God. cuckoo nuts. If you had Bernie's rabid Bernie bros and the Trump crowd oh. and an even amount... 
Well, first of all, you'd have fights. <laughs> you know, it'd be, look like gangs in New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When they all meet, met at five points. Right. <laughs> Various homemade axes. Somebody's gonna, machetes. Somebody's going to stab the rabbit. Um, <laughs> rabbit stabber. <laughs> but James Carville, he was, uh, along with George Stephanopoulos, running the campaign for Bill Clinton back in 1992 and got him elected. And he was on MSNBC's Morning Joe this week talking about uh, the Democrats and where they are and had this, among other things, to say. And I'll say this just as clearly and directly as I can. The only thing, the only thing between the United States and the abyss is the Democratic Party. That's it. And if we go the way of the British Labor Party, if we nominate Jeremy Coleman, it's going to be the end of days. If the British Labor Party would have nominated David Milbank, they'd be in power. So I am, I am scared to death. I really am. Now, you have to be up on politics enough to know what he meant there. What he said was, if you nominate Bernie Sanders instead of Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, um, Amy Klobuchar, Mike Bloomberg, we're done. Yeah. It'll be the end of times. I love the way he talks. (laughs) Well, I could listen to him talk for hours. Oh, yeah, I know. The only thing between America and the end of times is the Democratic Party. The abyss. The abyss. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. But, right. um, no, I get his but, greater point. But sure. the idea that for him, as a lifetime Democrat who's gotten a guy elected president who couldn't get the nominee today, the nomination today, um, yeah, he thinks uh, it will be the same thing as you saw in Great Britain. They ran Bernie Sanders, and so you have um, who you have as prime minister, right. Boris Johnson, <clears throat> because they ran the Bernie guy. Um, there's a little more uh, carble. The word that I like and respect and have always been proud of is politics. I'm not about a revolution. I'm not an ideologue. Politics means building coalitions. It means listening to people. It means shaping a message that you can do. It means understanding what's going on in America. It means being able to go at an African-American church and give a speech and relate to people and not talk about recreations or any kind of goofy left-wing thing out there. That's something. That word was reparations, I think. You know what's funny is if he didn't have the slight Cajun accent, he would sound exactly like Rudy Giuliani. I mean, shockingly similar. But that, 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 that's, that's really interesting. So if Bernie wins tonight, these voices are going to get way louder, I assume? Um, yes. Yeah. And listen, Carville, Carville is prone to putting things in a colorful way. It's why he's so much fun to listen to. Oh, like foolishness you hear? <laughs> right, sir. Um, but I think his adamance, how adamant he is, is not a put on. Because, you know, he gave the example of the Labor Party in Britain. Even with the whole Brexit mess, they just keep getting their asses kicked in elections. Even though, you know, Bojo and his party are not doing great. It's because they've gone so far left. And this is for socialist Great Britain. They're so far left that the people are saying, no, no, way, way, way too much. And there are a lot of people uh, on the Democrat side that really, really believe that. Well, which How so- they react and whether it will work or whether there will be some enormous backlash that Bernie's getting cut off at the knees again, I do not know. Well, how about 34? We haven't played that one. That, that's another good uh, James Carville on the that's state fine, of things. fine. We should play it. <laughs> I hope these African-American voters in the South, they're looking for somebody that can come in and not just excite them, but talk about things that really matter to them in everyday life. They're not interested in socialism and the revolution and all that foolishness you hear. They're interested in somebody that's going to come to them and articulate a vision as to how they fit into this country and 
what's that relationship and what kinds of things that the schools that, that kids go to, the health care that parents receive, the wages they receive, that's what matters to people. And if we, if we lose that, we're going to lose it. We're going to be the British Labor Party. We're going to be out in some theoretical left-wing la-la land. <laughs> you know what? Go, go ahead. So there's a guy who got a very popular Democratic president elected twice. Uh, calling the current zeitgeist of the Democratic Party craziness. Right. You know what he's he's missing, or maybe he knows it, um, but he's just not saying it, is human beings need something to struggle against. They need to feel like their lives have purpose. And you see it in the, the suicide numbers and the opioid addictions and the rest of it. If people don't feel like they're living a life of purpose, they, they, they make terrible choices and they end up self-destructive. And so a lot of youngsters, especially, are the politically naive. The idea of a revolution really appeals to them, even though we don't need anything close to a revolution in this country. Because it gives them purpose. It gives them meaning. It makes them feel like they're part of history or something, as a Opposed to people who are just cruising along on the lazy river of American life, reasonably affluent, reasonably peaceful, uh, healthy, the rest of it, um, but really not much purpose. And Bernie has tapped into that. I think he's out of his mind. Socialism has grabbed hold in a number of places, including the Soviet Union, when uh, when religion disappeared. Because you find your purpose is, okay, here's here's my purpose in life, making uh, heaven here on earth. This is my new religion. This is my new religion is socialism. And uh, religion has disappeared to a great extent in the United States, so maybe it's yeah. our time. Well, that is a difficult thing to fight, man. I suppose we'll do our best, but it's going to be challenging. 